Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Black Health Academy podcast. I am your health advocate, Miss Lisa A. Smith, extending the life of the culture one episode at a time. I am so thrilled to have you guys join me today with my special guest, who I'm going to introduce momentarily. Um, as usual, Miss Gitbibble J will be back on my next episode, co-hosting with me with all of our normal shenanigans. But today, I wanted to sit down with a subject matter expert specifically in the realm of education and college preparedness for our youth. And I thought this was a really important topic to tackle because, as you guys know, one of the things we teach at the Black Health Academy is that only 5% of U.S. physicians are Black, which is a very small number. And a lot of that is caused by our journey through the educational system, right? It's not that we're not applying to medical school. It's not that we're not going for these higher status jobs and careers. It's just that oftentimes we're not as prepared as we should be. So today I'm actually going to sit down with Ms. Nicole Stokes, who is a college and career advisor um, and a college preparedness expert. And we're going to talk about some of the disparities that she sees in her field with regard to education, um, with, with our brown children and what we should be preparing for as we rear up this next wave of physicians and attorneys and accountants and entrepreneurs. So I'm really excited to have her join me. Before I have her speak, I'm going to introduce her because her bio is phenomenal. Um, Nicole and I met through a mutual friend, and so we've had the opportunity to get to know each other quite a bit, and we're actually looking forward to working together in the near future. So I'm excited to, to do that and have her join in on some of our initiatives here inside of the Black Health Academy. But Miss Nicole Stokes, with over eight years of experience preparing students for college and career, Nicole has helped her clients gain admission to private, public, and Ivy League universities. Nicole has successfully guided her daughter, Alexis, through a remarkable educational journey. Alexis is a graduate of the Lawrenceville School, a distinguished East Coast boarding school, and is now a sophomore at Princeton University and an awardee of the Jackie Robinson Found Foundation Scholarship. Nicole helped Alexis earn over $250,000 in merit-based scholarships. And apart from being a private advisor, Nicole is an experienced HR professional. Additionally, she volunteers as a college advisor for the Pontiac Parent University, sponsored by Oakland University. She also coordinates with universities, community-based organizations, organizations and schools to improve college access for students. Nicole has served as a parent volunteer with the Yes for Prep program and A Better Chance, which are organizations that recruit and assist students of color in applying to selective independent private and secondary boarding schools across the U.S. She also served as a member of the Farmington African American Parent Network, where she coordinated the summer program's resource fair and developed the, 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 excuse me, the district's first-time comprehensive resource directory for parents. Nicole provides personalized educational planning, college admission advising, and career planning that aligns with her clients' individual goals, interests, and academic experiences. She holds a bachelor's in community service and development from Siena Heights University and devotes her life to helping others reach their fullest potential. Nicole, welcome to the Black Health Academy podcast with that bio, girl. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. 
<laughs> yes, my pleasure. Um, I'm really excited, excited to speak with you today. Um, you have a, obviously a wealth of knowledge around education, starting, it seems, from a very young age all the way through to higher education. And so I think our audience will gain a ton of value about how we should be working to prepare our youth um, to do exactly what you did for your daughter, Alexis. Um, so before we delve into the meat of everything, can you tell us a little bit more about what motivates you to take such a strong interest in making sure that she was really prepared for that next level in education? Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for having me today. I really, really appreciate it. I am so passionate and committed to higher achievement and really just helping students and families reach their full potential. And we know, Lisa, that reaching your full potential uh, is a holistic process and becoming educated is just one realm of it. So for myself, I really became interested in helping students and families when I worked actually in a charter school. Mm -hmm. I began to see uh, many of the challenges and opportunities that students and families faced as they tried to navigate the college uh, situation or even preparing for college. And during my time working uh, in a charter school in an HR position, I was able to see what was going on in the classrooms in terms of uh, quality and sometimes not so quality instruction, uh, teaching and learning. And then I was also able to see and talk to parents about the challenges that they were having, uh, just navigating and understanding what they need to do to prepare their students for success. So this uh, kind of gap that I was uh, constantly seeing, and then also along with that, working with my daughter to help her prepare for middle school and high school, something clicked in my mind that for myself as a parent, I, I need to take action. That really at the end of the day, the success of my student, the success of my child and other children in our community really starts with the parent. Mm -hmm. certainly, sc certainly schools and administrators and teachers need to uh, be competent and do their job. But at the end of the day, I'm the advocate for my daughter and it is my responsibility to ensure that she reaches her full potential. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, I knew after much contemplation and after talking with individuals and after doing research and really a lot of meditation around understanding why we have the challenges that we have today, I made it my mission to really dive in and support students and families as they navigate through this whole system of education. It's not all about really necessarily college, um, but it's what is it that we're doing at every stage of the educational journey to really support the student and to help them become the best version of themselves. Mm. And so that's what I'm committed to today. Yes, absolutely. And I appreciate you for that. And like you said, it's not just about your daughter, you said, and the children in my community. And so it's totally all of our responsibility to make sure that we're pushing this next generation along and ahead um, to the best of our ability, because we know that a lot of times even access to some of the top universities in the U.S. starts where, where you go to elementary school and middle school and high school, right? I know there are certain universities that only look at certain schools, certain certain school systems, certain school districts, right? And so a lot of us, if we're coming from some of these lower socioeconomic statuses, 
we oftentimes are not even running candidates. We're not even in the competition with a lot of our non-Black counterparts or peers. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Knowledge is key, right? Understanding is key. And without the knowledge, we're not able to move our students forward or move our families forward. So it starts with knowledge. Absolutely. Okay. So why... Why earn a college degree in the first place? Um, I, I, want, I really want to tackle this question because I am a proud entrepreneur and I'm a full-time entrepreneur. However, I did go to university um, a couple of times. I have a bachelor's, I have a master's, and I'm actually back in university as a non-traditional student. However, I do know there has been a huge wave in entrepreneurship in the last several years, and particularly in the Black community, right? Black women are the fastest growing demographic of entrepreneurs in the country. So now how do we, and why is it important for us to convince our young people to still follow that path of higher education? Sure, then no, that's a great question. So when I talk about college, I just want to also say that college is anything obviously beyond high school, but it could also be some form of post-secondary training Mm -hmm. uh, where an individual or student is earning a certificate or something that's going to give them skills to be able to do something great and earn um, a decent living in the future. So I just wanted to clarify clarify that in terms of college. So why go to college? Um, Many of you are already aware, right, that the globalization as it relates to um, work and skill um, is on the horizon. We live in a skill-based work situation. And today, in order for students, in order for individuals, for adults, to be able to really take care of their family and to ensure that their future income is protected beyond just savings and things of that nature, it is vitally important that we increase or gain skills. That is the trend um, in our society today, right? Mm -hmm. We have individuals who are in this country or coming to the United States and not even necessarily needing to come to this country. They're doing work online. uh, They're creating businesses, things of that nature. Well, it starts with a skill. Many of them have degrees, but many of them don't. So it's critically important that our students understand that they are living in a global landscape. And those who earn skills become mastery in the work that they're doing Mm -hmm. are the ones who are really going to excel and take over the market. Another reason why is by the year 2020, it was estimated that 70% of the jobs in Michigan will require some formal uh, training or post-secondary education. Everyone knows here in Michigan, of course, uh, we have a lot of automotive related, we have some tech-based jobs. In order for our students to earn those uh, positions or get a seat at the table in those companies, they must have skills. They Mm -hmm. must have skills. The other reason, of course, in terms of earning a degree or some post-secondary education is you have more options, right? Um, We're at a stage now that it's not necessarily um, really wise to go into one particular career. It's okay to have many careers. And many students will find that over their lifetime, they will need to branch out and do something different, right? And reinvent themselves. I'm reinventing myself today. 
I also want students and parents to know is that when you have a college degree, you always have more options and more flexibility rather than not, right? (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. many, many companies, um, even to do contract work and things of that nature, the minimum required often is to have a bachelor's degree, is to show that you have grit. And with that, you're able to go to an employer and say, because I have this experience, because I've gone through this process, I can work for your company. And they'll often say, we'll give you the flexibility to do so. So that's very, very important. Yes. The two other reasons why individuals want to pursue college is, and we've heard this before, students or individuals who have a bachelor's degree, at least at a bare minimum, earn at least a million dollars more per year over their lifetime. A million dollars, right? Mm -hmm. A game changer, which leads to the last and most important reason. I earned my degree and it took me many years to complete my bachelor's degree. I was a traditional student living on campus and taking courses and I took a break and then I went back to school. And the reason why I went back to school, Lisa, was because I wanted to change the trajectory and the legacy of my family. Yes. I wanted to make sure that education wasn't something that stopped our family from reaching the next level. Yep. And so it really is about legacy. It really is about legacy. I was the first individual in my family to earn a bachelor's degree. The first. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. And you know what? You're absolutely right. And I just want to build the connection here between education and health because it's the exact same thing. The reason we get educated about say, for example, nutrition and how things like that impact us is so that we can change the trajectory of our family, right? A lot of um, African-Americans are oftentimes the first in their family, sometimes even to graduate from high school and then college. And so it's a really proud moment for our families. And then to be also, you know, the first in your family who does not die from a heart attack or from type 2 diabetes or obesity, things that we think are traditionally really based on genealogy when it's really based on education. And yeah. so that foundation of education is really important. And like you said, leaving and changing the trajectory of your entire family legacy is really, really powerful. And I love what you said about mastery. And I wanted to, I want to go back there for a second because understanding that now what I've, what I've found me being a millennial, just right, barely making it in the millennial category, (laughs) but a lot of my peers too, um, we tend to be really flighty. Right. And I think that age, at least for us, of staying in jobs for, you know, 30, 40 years retirement and pension, that's really, really becoming archaic for us. Right. And so we tend to jump around a lot. And and I think the the really important characteristic of mastering something is becoming extinct. And so I like that you brought that up because a lot of us are good in a lot of things. But what are we really taking the time to master? And I think when you invest in higher education and thank you so much for defining it not as just as traditional college but secondary training earning certificates going back for those continuing ed classes and just up leveling in whatever your field is so that you do reach that level of mastery that the average person won't pursue i think is really 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 important because when you master something it then in addition to your educational background it then increases the chances that you will earn that 
million of dollars more over your lifetime than the average uneducated person who has just gotten good at something versus mastering it. And and when you're in a controlled setting where you're learning from an expert and when you literally invest your time into learning your craft more, I think it's really, really important. So thank you for pointing that out. Um, you also mentioned that, you know, with Michigan it being expected that by the year 2020, 70% of the jobs in Michigan will require formal post-secondary education. I think that's really key because with Michigan being a traditionally blue-collar uh, work society or environment, the fact that those numbers are raising so high is huge. And I, I imagine the trend is the same throughout the country. So my next question to you is, with us becoming such a tech and data-driven society and getting more and more away from the blue collar work. Um, do you think it's possible to still use, you know, higher education to master a skill or is it much now easier how we're all starting our own tech companies and coming up with new ideas of doing things like your Ubers and your Airbnbs? Is that a skill that can really be learned in a formal education setting? I think that's a great question, uh, Lisa, for a number of reasons. And I think I'll answer it this way. The bachelor's degree really says to an employer or a company uh, that is even seeking to bring on contractors that you have as the individual have committed your time, right, and your resources to um, gaining a certain skill or a certain perspective. Mm -hmm. And so at the very minimum, particularly for African-Americans, we need to come to the door with some kind of degree or certificate. Yes. We all know that unfortunately, uh, there are still racial uh, disparities and there is evidence and research that shows that African-Americans um, in particular, are discriminated against. And yep. so we must come to the table with our A-game, and that includes um, a degree at the very, very minimum. Now, can you still do the job um, without a degree? Certainly you can, but I would always encourage students to earn that degree and not let that be a barrier or a reason for anyone to turn you away. Mm. Yes, anyone to turn you away and mm. so uh, yes we need that degree aside from that certifications going through training programs and connecting to individuals who have the skills and the experience at a mastery level to be able to, to perform in a particular job or take on a particular project is key and I can tell you that based on my experience working in schools and in nonprofit organizations, um, we as African-Americans don't really understand the value of connecting our degree to individuals who have already been successful. That's very, very important. And so, yes, I would say that it is critically important for individuals to earn their degrees. But what is it that you do with that? What is it that you do and how do you take that degree and leverage as you mm -hmm. open that door to opportunity? Mm, absolutely. Okay. All right. So how do we take that degree and leverage? And you know, it is a sad fact, Nicole, because you're absolutely right. 
we have to show what we're more. We have to come to the table with all of our I's dotted and our T's crossed, right, to even get the conversation. Um, and so we have, we have to incur sometimes the debt, you know, the time away from our family and all of that to pursue these higher education or continuing education degrees and credits and certificates because unfortunately we won't be respected in their circles and in their realms without those things if our mission is to pursue um the things that they're offering right and so but you're right that is that's just a fact of reality and that's the way it is so let's talk about then why higher education or what is the reality of higher education for black and low low income students with regard to um, resources, but then also with regard to how they typically think of themselves as far as being capable for even succeeding or going to college as far as fitting in and can I do it and my family doesn't come from there. So is this a reality for me? Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I think that we are in a crisis situation, um, Lisa, and there obviously is a, um, how can I say, a facade out there that yes, more African Americans um, or students of color are entering into college. But overall, if you perform the research, you will find that many students don't complete college. And so for low income students who do everything right, it's still difficult for them to actually achieve achieve the dream of uh, earning a degree. And there are a number of uh, issues, right, uh, societal issues that, that play into that. One thing that um, is very disturbing to me is that there was a study um, found in 2012 that stated that only about 14% of students from low-income families actually complete a bachelor's degree within eight years of graduating from high school in comparison to 60% of students that come from higher uh, income backgrounds, they complete uh, at a much higher rate. It doesn't Mm -hmm. take them as long. They have lower student debt, et cetera. So clearly just from that statistic, Mm. we have a problem, right? We have a problem getting our students into college uh, and we have a challenge helping and supporting our students um, earn a degree really within like six years, which is the benchmark uh, for for most students. Now, when we talk about another kind of distinct group in terms of African-American students or black students, like my daughter, uh, who is a student at Princeton, black students only make up 4% of the undergraduate enrollees that are at the the nation's top universities. So think about that, 4% of the students that are there, African-American, that's all that's there at these top universities. And not necessarily Ivy, but we're talking so many other amazing, the hundreds and thousands of amazing uh, top tier schools. So we clearly have a challenge, um, but in contrast to that, if we talk about 4% at these higher ranked schools, 26% of students, black students are at these lower ranked colleges, these Mm. colleges and universities that unfortunately don't do a really good job graduating students Mm. in four or six years, right? And there's tons of data that shows that. 
And again, there, there are a number of reasons why we have these challenges. And I'll talk about the, the problem, if you don't mind me going into, into that Yes, now. yes, please. Sure. So, so in terms of the challenge, um, there are tons of research out there to show, particularly that low-income students um, and students of color are really, if they apply, they're more likely to enroll in top colleges if they apply. So the problem is that many of our students don't apply. They don't apply, they don't apply to college and they surely don't apply to, uh, to an Ivy League school. And mm. I can tell you personally that I had to uh, push my daughter to apply to Princeton. She didn't think she could get in. Yep. So mm. that's a problem, that's yes. a problem. The other challenge is that students don't realize and parents don't realize that uh, when they go to schools that have the resources available, many of the uh, top public universities and these private universities, these schools have greater levels of resources. They have intensive support services like tutoring, free tutoring, mentoring. They have access to research opportunities. They have tons of mentors and alumni and faculty, member who, faculty members who are ready to help. So if we don't understand that the schools that have these resources available are the schools that we need to consider, there's a gap there, right? We already know that. The other challenge um, that students have, um, and some of these are kind of misbeliefs. One I mentioned, they don't believe they can get into the selective school. Mm -hmm. They believe that these schools are for geniuses, even like some of your state schools. Oh, I can't attend that school. That's for really, really smart students. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing that I hear from families and students are, I don't want to apply to college or even a top college because I don't have the money. I can't afford it. That's a myth. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's a myth. Colleges and universities, especially your top ones, they have tons of money and they're eagerly and ready to have a student of color, qualified student come in and take advantage of those resources available. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. Um, and those are real absolutely real belief systems that permeate our community. Um, I don't, I, I can't get in, I can't afford it, um, or I'm just not up to par, right? This inferiority complex that a lot of our children feel when they get on these college campuses, especially if they're coming from a lower economic community, because let's say they have a phenomenal parent like yourself who pushes them and encourages them. But then, you know, when we talk about those continuing support um, resources, when they get on campus, how do they then, are they able to maintain some level of security and motivation within themselves when they're met with all these other students who maybe come from a higher socioeconomic status, have more resources, right? A lot of our kids are sometimes even embarrassed to have scholarships. Yes. And so how do we tackle that, making sure that from a personal development standpoint, they are intact because that, that dropout rate is huge. Like I said in the beginning, it's not that we're not applying and it's not even that we're not getting in, but the number of students who apply to medical school versus, versus that number that graduates, there's a big gap there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean, there are so many factors, um, if you will, that go into um, a student's success, right? Um, so if we even 
kind of go back uh, to elementary um, years <laughs> and the middle school years, which obviously are formative, one of the things that um, I fortunately recognized, and I think it really was via the Holy Spirit, Lisa, but I recognized my child's needs. Mm. I was very in tune to what Alexis's learning style was, what her gaps were from an academic standpoint and a social standpoint. And um, I also understood what her strengths were. And so it starts there. Parents absolutely must understand their child and what their needs are. Mm -hmm. And it takes time to do that, right? Everything starts with self. <laughs> Everything starts with self. And so as the parent, it's our responsibility to hone in on those areas. And if we don't understand our child, we need to get help in order yes. to do that, right? We need to yep. get help. And so starting in elementary school, and I know for my daughter in middle school, I really began to hone in on the fact that I knew that she was an intelligent child. So if she has this intellect, and she's not brilliant, but she's smart, but if she has that, what should I do about that? What should, right? What should I do about that? And so I began to read um, about students who were high achieving and resources that were available for them. Um, I began to understand what high achieving students were doing and what their parents needed to do to support them. And I put a plan together, Lisa. So I mm. incorporated a plan of preparation financially. Mm -hmm. I put a plan together to help my daughter become culturally mature, right? Mm -hmm. And certainly from an academic standpoint, I put a plan together in terms of bringing the resources to bear so that she could thrive, right? Not just survive, but thrive in every level of her academic career. So yes. in, in, in middle school, for example, um, she didn't really, she had a, a decent middle school experience, but it was there, the aha moment that we really saw that she was living beneath her privileges as a student. She didn't have the coursework that was challenging uh, so the teaching and learning was for her subpar, no mm -hmm. disrespect to her teachers, but we knew that there was something missing when you come home and you complete your homework in 15 minutes, yes. in 15 minutes. And so as a parent, it was my responsibility to address that and to ask questions. So I would go to my colleagues at work. Again, I worked in school and I'd ask questions. If my daughter's coming home, and she's completing her homework in 15 minutes, what are the challenges there? What should I evaluate? What questions should I ask the teacher? Mm -hmm. And what demands should I place on individuals who are paid there at the school to do their job? Mm -hmm. And so it's a combination, Lisa, of again, and I didn't mention this, prayer, planning, mm -hmm. asking questions, and being flexible. Yes. And being tuned in. I, you know, Absolutely. It's so unfortunate that, uh, you know, our, a lot of our parents, they want to do better, right? But it it's sometimes becomes a toss-up between just meeting the physiological needs of the household 
or then taking it or pouring more energy into taking something like their education to the next level. Right. And so it, there's so many factors, like you said, Nicole, that plays into, you know, being able to be successful with taking your kids through higher education. Um, but I am so proud of you for doing just that. And you talked about making sure she was prepared, you know, not just academically, but also culturally, which leads me to ask, what are some of the characteristics that we can identify in high achieving students? What characteristics should some of our parents be looking for or looking for the lack thereof in their students or in their children that they should be addressing that the average high achieving student has that usually guarantees success? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and I would say there, there are really like three kind of core areas um, that I'd like to focus in on. One, obviously, academic readiness mm -hmm. um, is, is absolutely number one. And so parents need to understand and students need to know that four years of math, science, English, social studies, and a foreign language should be the absolute benchmark. Nothing less than that. Mm -hmm. Nothing less than that, because as a student um, and from a learning standpoint, uh, if they're in um, a quality school and in courses that are rigorous, they're going to benefit in so many ways by having all of those uh, courses at those level, at those levels. The other thing is students need to take advantage of AP courses, dual credit courses, and really all of the test prep available for the ACT and the SAT. Now we know, Lisa, that traditionally speaking, and then from a data standpoint, our students, students of color, we score much lower on ACT, SAT, and other standardized tests. We know that for yes. certain. So if yeah. we know that, then we need to prepare for that. And there are many, many resources available, low uh, resor uh, cost resources to help our students. The other thing about academic readiness is that GPA, maintaining a GP high GPA is absolutely key <laughs> because top schools uh, who uh, are looking for top talent, mm -hmm. the number one factor in them recruiting uh, students is their GPA and their coursework and making sure that student has maintained um, a high level of um, intentionality around their coursework. Um, that's absolutely key. Um, and it's also key, of course, to earning scholarships. The other thing about academic readiness, um, which ties in, is students have to have some level of extracurricular uh, activities they should be exploring careers, and there are many ways to do that, and they should be taking on leadership opportunities, and they can do that within the realm of their school activities. Mm -hmm. So the next area, financial readiness. <laughs> this is always a challenge for uh, students, and we face this challenge. Parents must create a financial plan. How mm -hmm. are they going to pay for school? Yes. If their child even in middle school, if a parent recognizes that their child can benefit from a private high school, but they don't have the money and they don't know how they're going to pay for it, they need to step back and create a plan or come up with the resources to do so. And that means they may need to engage like a financial planner, um, an educational financial planner, that is, to really help them. Having a plan is absolutely key. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, many, many times I have parents that come to me and they have juniors and they have seniors and they say, we, I, don't, I don't know how we're going to pay for it. <laughs> well, at that point, it's pretty challenging uh, to, to really implement a financial plan. You can, but it's going to be much more challenging to do so if you wait until 11th grade or 12th grade. You need to start early, elementary school, middle school. Yes. The other thing that parents don't realize is that students can earn scholarships as early as ninth grade. There are scholarships that are out there uh, for pretty much everything. Um, So they need to have some awareness around scholarships and that whole process and how their student might be able to earn money. My youngest um, client that I have, I started working with him in seventh grade. Um, and he has been applying for scholarships. His writing skills has improved. And he also completed um, uh, an essay and an application and actually earned a caddy position, right? Which is considered mm. a scholarship because he's getting paid now, right? To be on mm-hmm. the golf course. And so that parent recognized the value of starting early. And I'm working with him even now to really put together a plan for high school because he is going to graduate debt-free. We already have that in mind. We have a plan and we're executing. Yes. Yes. Now, the other piece with regards to financial readiness is for parents who, for whatever reason, they don't have the money to pay for college, but their students are high achieving. And when I say high achieving, um, I'll put a benchmark on like 3.5 for scholarship uh, purposes. Mm-hmm. If they don't have the money, they need to identify schools that offer generous financial aid, <laughs> right? Why yes. apply to a school if they don't offer generous financial aid? And when I say generous, I mean schools that meet 80 to 100% of the need of a family. Mm. For our family, my daughter applied to Princeton. Princeton is number one in terms of affordability. The average debt of a Princeton graduate at the undergrad level is less than $9,000. Wow. Less than $9,000. And with the plan we've put in place for my daughter, um, in terms of her graduating, she's on the path of graduating debt-free. Yes. (laughs) Debt-free. Yes, that's phenomenal and unheard of often. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So having that plan in place and knowing what you can do is key. The last area in terms of um, just having those characteristics of being high achieving is, again, it goes back to something I mentioned earlier. Students have to have the cultural knowledge and the maturity knowledge. I call it cultural capital. They have to understand themselves. They have to understand their strengths and be vulnerable around improving their strengths. Parents have to be aware of what those strengths are, those weaknesses, and how to advocate, right? Who talks about advocacy, Lisa? Mm -hmm. When was the last time you talked with a parent about skills on how to advocate for their child? Right. So being able to advocate in the context of a school environment and understanding the culture of that school, how things get done, who helps who. Right. How do you get into those courses that you need to? All Mm -hmm. of those things around the the climate and the culture of a respective school. 
parents and students have to have that knowledge because the students, quite honestly, and the parents that get things done are the ones who ask the questions, are the ones who place the demands. They know the policies. They know the benchmarks. So our parents have to be in the forefront in those areas. Thank you. Wow. What a wealth of information. This is phenomenal. And uh, it's what most people need to hear and understand. And I'm just going to, I was taking notes. And so I'm going to go through as we prepare to wrap up here. I just want to kind of sum all of this up because you shared a lot today, Nicole, and I want people to really feel like they kind of know where they can start because this can be really overwhelming, especially for our young uh, brown children who oftentimes are completely neglected in this educational system, just like in the medical system. So what I'm hearing, and you tell me if I missed anything, is number one, start early, right? Don't wait until the final hour to start thinking about where they're going to go, how much it's going to cost, and whether or not they're academically prepared. So absolutely start early. Um, Next, if you can, absolutely look into getting an educational and a financial planner. And I think, I don't even think I've ever thought about this when I've thought about starting a family, um, about making sure we invest in an expert to help us navigate this journey of taking our kids to that next level. And so getting a planner, getting someone in place that can walk you through some of these things, I mean, everything from scholarships to, like you said, cultural preparedness, seems to me that it would be invaluable. Um, Next, focus on academic success from the beginning. Like you said, there's still a ton of weight placed on that GPA. Um, There's still a lot of weight placed on those um, test scores. And so we need to make sure that we're focusing on the academic success of our babies from not just high school when they're ready to apply, but also middle school and also making sure we're focusing on those extracurricular activities and those skill sets and making sure we're exposing them to the world, whether that comes from sports or or music or culinary arts or uh, tech, how can we expose them outside of the classroom to make them a little more competitive on those applications? Um, And then finally, Be aware of the strengths and weaknesses of your particular child, right? What do I need to focus on? Because maybe academically, they're knocking it out the park. I know that was kind of the issue with me. I was an academic, you know, I went to Cast Tech, then I went on to Michigan U of M. Like my mom didn't, it wasn't an issue. I went straight after my bachelor's, straight into my master's. She didn't have to worry about the academic part with me, but am I culturally prepared? Is it going to be culture shock when I get on this campus? Or is there, are there some skill sets that need to be developed from a mature standpoint, right? Sometimes yes. when uh, children are academically gifted, they are oftentimes can be considered a little less mature than some of their other counterparts, which is not necessarily a true case. A lot of the kids in America are just a little too advanced, right, with their okay. exposure to TV and video games. But in comparison to their peers, they can also be uh, sometimes be considered immature. So what areas do we, you need to specifically focus on for your child to make sure they are ready to be successful and compete in, in our society going forward? Does that, was that a good summation? Absolutely. 
Absolutely, Lisa. You did a great job. (laughs) Thank you. I was listening, girl. I was like, I love this. I love this. And guys, me and Nicole have already talked offline about having her come back and teach an entire masterclass in the academy where we can deep dive a little more into how you should be working toward making sure your baby is ready to go to the next level in, in her career. And one of the things that I'm hoping we can bring you back and actually talk about too is how the parent themselves can be prepared too, not just the child. Because one of the things I've noticed is sometimes the ch- the parent might not even want the kid to go away. They've never been away. Nobody in their family has been away. They want to keep them close to the chest or close to home. And so oftentimes we impart our own fears onto our children and that can hinder their success. Is that something you've noticed? Oh, absolutely, Lisa. And that's a great point. I mean, we uh, dealt with, Uh, kind of the the whole situation around going away in high school because Mm. my daughter attended a day in boarding school in New Jersey, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was really unheard of, at least in my family and within my kind of circle of influence for your child to go away to high school, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the key point was for us, my daughter wasn't afraid. So why should we be afraid? Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. And a lot of times it's just what we know and what we don't know. And we, we lean on those insecurities more than we should because everybody wants the best for their children. It's sometimes not even a conscious thing that we're doing, you yes. know? And so, yes, I, I would love to, we'll, we're going to deep dive into all of that. I'm, we're going to get ready to wrap up though. We know we can go on forever, Nicole, um, because I see so many parallels between education and um, health here. And, and so I think it's really important that we're getting our babies ready because, you know, I'm over here like, listen, let's keep them at a healthy weight, keep them off these medications, make sure they're eating right because we know the way they eat actually determines how they absorb the information in the classroom, right? Yes. Um, sugar completely shuts down your ability to recall, right? Your, your memory and your ability to concentrate. And so there's a crap ton of parallels in what we do. And so I'm excited to continue to work with you, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us today. But we absolutely have to tell the people how they can work with you. How can they hire you or use your company or your resources as educational planning for their children? Sure, absolutely. And thank you so much, Lisa. I am uh, so thrilled and happy to be here uh, and share um, any knowledge that I have uh, with your community. I really, really appreciate it. So um, yes, if parents or students want to get in contact with me, they can actually send me an email. Um, It's NicoleStokes00 at gmail.com. So it's spelled Mm -hmm. N-I-C-O-L-E s-t-o-k-e-s zero zero at gmail.com and i'd love to talk with them excellent excellent and then as always guys we'll make sure we plug her email in the show notes so you can just click and go um and before we wrap up i want to mention i don't know if you knew about this nicole but Um, Because I'm pre-med at Wayne State, even though I recently decided I think I'm going to switch that to a PhD in nutrition, a friend of mine sent me an article from CNN saying that NYU Medical School is now offering 100% free tuition for all current and new medical undergrad students. Isn't that something? Wow, that is 
exceptional, <laughs> outstanding. Is. Yes. I was like, what? Right. So I know they're going to get a ton of applications coming in. It's probably going to be even more competitive now. But I like also that it seems in some realms, um, some of these higher institutions are moving in the direction, understanding that finances are typically a huge barrier to success for a lot of incoming students. And so uh, because I, I heard the same thing actually about U of M Ann Arbor offering um, free medical, free tuition. But I think theirs had a condition about with what your household income could be. Sure. But it sounds like NYU wishes everyone. So I just want to put that out there for anyone listening uh, today. But with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Thank you so much to our guest, Ms. Nicole Stokes, for joining us today. She was a phenomenal wealth of knowledge. As always, guys, make sure you leave a comment or share this episode with someone who can use it. And we will be back here in another two weeks with another episode here on the Black Health Academy podcast. Until next time, take care. Bye, everyone. Mm -hmm.